Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdena Asband. Our daf for the day, Masachet Beitza, daf tetvav, page 15. So I'm going to begin in the middle of Amud Aleph. We have here a shift in Perak, really. Um, Amud Aleph is the old Perak. Amud Bet is a new Perak. Yerdena, you will introduce us to the new Perak. But I want to finish off what the Gemara says about that, that phrasing at the end of the last Mishnah that I read, Yesterday, Zehaklal, Zehaklal, Kol Shneotin Bo Biyom Tov. Right, this the principle was that anything that you could use on the Chag on the holiday, you could send it. So the Gemara here addresses this. Rav Sheshit Shralahu LeRabbanan LeShidurit Filin Biyom Atava. So this gets into a whole discussion, which is really a side discussion over whether one wears Tfilin on the fest, on the I guess on Cholamoid or not, because people do not wear Tfilin on the holiday itself. So Rav Sheshit says that he did permit them to send tefillin on Chag. Amar lehu abai, abai. Abai says, well, hang on. You know, it doesn't have to be able to be used on Yantif to be able to be sending it. So the Gemara explains that the, what the Mishnah is saying is that anything that you might use on a weekday, you might send on, you can send on the festival. Now, that is turning the plain sense of the text on its head by a lot, right? Because the implication from everything that we'd seen in the Mishnah before was things that needed to be used or could be used on Yantif itself. And to say that really what's being said is that you anything you could use on Chol, meaning on a weekday, which sounds like anything you could use ever, you could send on a festival. It seems like a much different kind of statement. So Abai says that when we're talking about tefillin specifically, he says, we've already talked about this. When? He says the example was if someone's coming on the road on Arab Shabbos, or Erev Yantif, and he's wearing his tefillin on his head, right? Tefillin Shalrosh. Because the idea was, back in the day, they wore tefillin all day long, just not at night. And then, because he's traveling, now the sun, v'shaka'alav chama, the sun sets, meniach yado alayhem what does he do? He puts his hand on his tefillin, like to cover them, so that people wouldn't see that he's wearing his tefillin in the dark, meaning because the sun is already set, until he gets home. And likewise, if he's sitting in the Beit Midrash and he's wearing his tefillin, as one does, and then, lo and behold, it becomes Shabbat or becomes Yantif, meaning it says, means um, the sanctification of the day takes place by, meaning it, it becomes dark into that day. Then, oops, he was unprepared. He puts, he covers them up again with his hands until he goes home, um, and so that's you know this this idea that you're not really supposed to be wearing tefillin on Chag or on Shabbos, but you also don't just dump them in the street, right? So rather you do this kind of masquerade uh, subterfuge to make it clear that you're not really wearing them. Mati Rav Huna Bereid Rav Ika Hayaba B'derech Tefillin Baroshov V'Kadash L'Avayom Meniach Yado Alehem Ad Shemigil Avet Le so the son of Rezika says, one second, we've got a story of someone who's coming on the road, he's wearing a tefillin on his head, it gets dark, Okay, he, so what does he do? He puts his hand over them, 
And until he gets his, not to his own house, but to the house that's nearest to the wall, and he gets to the wall, I'm sorry, I've, I've misread this. But what does he do? He, he takes them off and he leaves them there at the wall. Meaning, it's a presumably this is a safe, secure place to do so. So there, he says, what happens if he's in the study hall and this happens and it gets dark? So again, he covers them up until he gets to a home that is close to the Beit Midrash. He, I don't know really why he couldn't have left them in the Beit Midrash. In our Bate Midrash today, certainly one could. But for whatever reason, he's going to take them off. And the idea is then that you're not bringing the tefillin all the way to your house in this way with your hand over it, right? You're just getting to the nearest place that you could. Maybe the Beit Midrash is at a distance from where all the homes are. So he's going to wear them till he gets to, to the area of the houses. And then he's going to put it in the closest one that he could. Meaning it's not till you get home. It's to make sure that your tefillin is secure and you're in a safe place, Um and and as quickly as possible, you're going to divest yourself of them. So the Gemara says, Lokasha, had mintra, had lo mintra. So the Gemara says, we don't have a difficulty here. We're talking about a case where you could be, where they could be safeguarded. And here where they can't be safeguarded in the nearest house, so then you wear them all the way home. Fine. Um, okay. Um, I want, the, the Gemara, again, gets into this question of when could they be safeguarded or not. But I want to jump to the very end here of this parak. Um, so this is a really shocking statement. Most thieves, no, it says, lest you're going to say most thieves are Jews, right? Lest you say, let's say you're going to say, well, they're Jews and they're not going to treat Tfilin poorly because they're Jewish and they know what they are. And that you still have to take care with your with your children to make sure that they're really going to be safe and they're going to be protected. And you cannot assume that just because you might have a Jewish thief who knows what children are, that they're going to be treated well, which is so many shocking statements to begin with, right? That A, that most of the thieves are Jewish and B, that the thieves would know to treat children well, but you can't rely on them for that. So, and all of this comes back to this question, of course, of, you know, what are you supposed to be doing? What can you send on Yantif or not? It never really comes back to this question of anything bechol, right? The idea that anything that you could send during the anything that you could be using during the week, you could send on yantiv. It just gets involved in the tefillin thing. Actually, I take it back. If anything, I would say that all of this discussion of the tefillin and how you're supposed to take them off as soon as you can, as long as they will be safeguarded, suggests a counter to the idea that anything you could use during chol, you could also send on yantiv. The answer to that, I think, is still no. Yeah, I agree. You know, here, I think on yesterday's page, we saw a lot of boundary pushing, how much you could send or sort of do in the realm of gifts. And here, I think we're started, starting to see it being pulled back quite a bit. Um, and with that, we finished the first parak of Beitza. So now we're going to go to the second parak, which is going to deal with all these halachot of Erev Tevshilin. And again, we talked about this when we did a Reuben, which talked about sort of those physical type of a Reuven, right, where we try to build an Arab so that we make space permissible in a different way. And we had mentioned that all the halachot of Arab Tavshilin, uh, which is the Arab that you prepare to allow uh, food that you cooked on Yom Tov to be eaten on Shabbat, right, when you have Arab Shabbat is a, is a Yom Tov, 
appears in Masachat Beitza. And so that's what we're going to be spending uh, this next parak discussing. Yom Tov Shachal Yot Erev Shabbat. So be Yom Tov that's on Erev Shabbat. Lo Yiv Shobat Zchilam Yom Tov L'Shabbat. So you're not allowed to cook um, on the Yom Tov for Shabbat. Aval Mivashel Hu Yom Tov Vim Utir Utir L'Shabbat. But you can cook for Yom Tov. And then if you have leftover, you can eat it on Shabbat. So in other words, it needs to be food, the cooking that you're doing on Yom Tov for Yom Tov. Eat some of it. And then whatever you have leftover can be used for Shabbat. You can prepare a cooked dish for Shabbat um, on Arab on Arab Chag and use it, uh, you know, and, and you're allowed to use it for Shabbat. And so this is basically... Uh, the Erev Tavshilan. So really it's that you're not supposed to cook, but by doing this type of Erev Tavshilan where you sort of prepare a dish that you're designating for Shabbat, that you're allowed to do. So then the the question of the Erev Tavshilan is how many baked cooked things do you need to prepare? Beit Shammai says it needs to be two, right? And Beit Hillel says it only needs to be one. But they both agree that a fish and an egg that's fried sort of together are considered two dishes uh, for this purpose. It's not considered to be one dish. Let's say you ate all of it on Erev Chag, right? So you don't have any of it left. Or let's say, or, you know, or you lost it. Um, you can't rely on it and cook again, right? right? You can't sort of rely on it and cook again. Uh, for Shabbat, but if any part of it, of the Erev is left, then what? Then you can rely on it to cook for Shabbat. So the idea basically is you prepare this Erev Tavshilin, right? And because you sort of designated it for Shabbat before Chag, right? On Erev Chag even, then you can allow to on Chag prepare for Shabbat on, uh, on Shabbat, uh, for, on Chag for Shabbat. And so the Gemara wants to know, how do we get this halacha even about Erev Tavshilan? Menahani Milei, right? So where do we know this from? What's the actual source? That by taking, right, a ruve here, it's joint, right? Erev is joining. So here, it's not joining a, le- a, a lechi and a korav, right? Which we talked about in Reuven. Here, it's joining cooked food together, right? And the idea that if you didn't make this Erev, then you can't cook on a chag for Shabbat. Amar Shmuel to Amar Kras. So Shmuel says, and he quotes a pasuk here from Shmuel, chapter 20, verse 8. Right, so this is a very famous pasuk. Remember the Shabbos day to keep it holy. So what he infers from is remember it and safeguard it basically from another day that it would so it comes to be so it shouldn't be forgotten. So when you have a festival chag that falls out on a Friday, you may be so worried with the chag, right, and enjoying the chag that you may forget to think about Shabbat. So therefore, they institute an erev tavshilin so that you can't forget about Shabbat. So you make sure that you take time of Chag to prepare for Shabbat. And so then the question is, my time, uh, what's the reason? So that they did this so that a person will make sure they have something nice for Shabbat and also something nice for Yom Tov. Because if you didn't prepare specifically for Shabbat, you're going to end up like eating leftovers or something not so nice, right? You'll have a bowl of cereal. So Ravashi is a totally different reason. He says this is really about the Yom Tov. So that people, right, will say one can't bake on a festival for Shabbat, right? 
right? Unless he baked the day before. So then they also won't bake on a festival for a weekday. So this is like a totally different reason. This has nothing to do with Shabbat at all. It actually has to do with the respect that you need to treat um, that you need to treat a Chag with. Um, and then, um, uh, uh, you know, then they, they go on, they, they're going to quote a, a Mishnah here and see how it works with the opinions of Rav Ashi and Rava. But I just want to note, there are really two different reasons. Is the Erev Tavshilan in deference to Shabbat? Is it in deference to the Yom Tov? So I think that's very interesting. Um, but then they come up with um, a very uh, interesting story. So they quote the story about Rabbi Eliezer, that Rabbi Eliezer was sitting and teaching on Chag, and like a series of students kept leaving, like the first set, the second set, the third set. And basically the earlier you left, Rabbi Eliezer felt that it meant that you sort of had more food or more wine to enjoy on the festival. And the, you know, the later that you left the men, you had even less to less to, to share. And he teaches this to the students. So there's obviously this after six groups leave, there's a group of students sitting there in front of them, not sending up at Talmudim. So his eyes go to the students. I, I skipped the whole part of the beginning there. It's Mishtanim. And they they their faces change color. They're they're embarrassed because they're like, maybe they should have left to celebrate the Chag and eat whatever food it is that they had. Amar Lahem Banai, Lola Chamani Amer. He said, My sons, I'm not talking about you. I'm only talking about the ones who left. Because they abandoned the eternal life of right, meaning Torah, because they went to engage in temporary life, meaning he's being critical of them who left to go eat on Chag instead of staying to learn, right? Right. And so when the remaining students left, right, when he finishes his lecture, Amr Lahem, and he says to them, and now he quotes a pasuk from Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse 10. So he basically says, now you should go, quoting this pasuk of Nehemiah, right, uh, go and eat and drink. And I believe this pasuk is talking about when they were celebrating Sukkot, right? But the point here that's important is, and it says, and send portions, right? Send gifts for those who don't have anything prepared. And so then the Gemara goes on to explain, what is this price of talking about? So they say, their first question about the story is, how could Rabbi Eliezer say that they abandoned the Beit Midrash, they abandoned Torah? You're supposed to celebrate. So, hot. And so now they show this difference with Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yeshua. I'm sort of skipping around because I don't have time to read it all. That for Rabbi Eliezer, right, Simchat Yom Tov is really Yoshe Vashona, right? It could also be Ochel Vashota, but it also could be that you sit and learn. So for Rabbi Eliezer, you have a choice. You don't have to go and eat. Rabbi Yeshua says you should do both. Chalkul Chetzio Lashem, Vechetzio Lachem. And, but the point just to go back to, this thing, you know, this pasuk that he quotes from Nehemiah, right? The thing here is that this is also a hint to Eretz Tavshilan, because the idea is, is that for those who didn't have food, which is the students who were left there, you should go ahead and bring them food. And so what we learn from here is that for people who don't have an Eretz Tavshilan, we are, it's recommended that we sort of provide them, that we should, we should give them food. And this is what the Gemara comes to a conclusion with later on. Again, it's a very long daf, and I just can't read everything there but you know based on this story so i think there's a few things here there's a story of rebel where we see two different ways of celebrating chag 
you know, one through learning Torah, one through food, Rabbi Eliezer, and again, that's sort of his personality. He's known to always be a little bit harsh, um, is through that. And then the Gemara goes back to this Pasuk in Nehemiah, right? And it says, quoting Rav Chisa, this is at the bottom of the Daf, where it says, that this Pasuk here, where it says, right, that someone who doesn't have food, you should send him food. So he says, this teaches us, you send somebody an Eruv Tavshilin. And Eka Damri, others say that he said, right, that someone who doesn't have an Eruv Tavshilin, so it's saying that, you know, you have to provide food for someone who doesn't have an Eruv Tavshilin, but if you had an opportunity to make an Eruv Tavshilin and you didn't, you're considered to be negligent. But I thought that this tied in a little bit to what we saw previously, right? The previous stuff, which ended with all these concepts of sending gifts to people, and that seemed to be a part of Simchas Yom Tov. So I think we see this here again with the Erev Tavshilin. We don't want anybody to be without food. And so therefore, I think, because if you're without food, it means you're also without Simchas Yom Tov. So therefore, I think Rav Chista is trying to make the point here that if somebody forgets to do an Erev Tavshilin, it's our obligation to sort of send gifts and make sure that they actually can, you know, uh, can enjoy uh, uh, Shabbat here at this point, right? It's going to be, but you send them these things uh, so that they can fully enjoy that that time period. It's so Jewish. <laughs> so stereotypically, so stereotypically Jewish plying people with food, simcha through food, except for that I think that it's also really real, right? This is part and parcel of the way we celebrate our holidays and the idea that people would be kind of left without is, is such a, a, such a terrible idea, right? I know all kinds of people who do all kinds of things, more fancy, less fancy, more courses, less courses, etc. Right. But everybody's going to do something. You don't just not have food for Yantif, right? That, that is, that is too far removed from the, from the pale. Right. Um, the other thing I just wanted to say is that, you know, this Arab Tavshilin is one of these loopholes, right? And I think that we always have this kind of like squirmy feeling about loopholes because, you know, shouldn't we be following the letter of the law? And shouldn't that mean that we just don't prepare for Yant- for Shabbos on Yant? Like it just, we shouldn't have such a thing as an Arab Tavshilin. And I think that the answer is no, this is part and parcel of the way the halachic system developed to include the loopholes. I, I say this as somebody who, for much of my life and now, as we encounter Shemitah again in, in the land of Israel, I, I'm kind of a general, and there are many in, employed during Shemitah. But but I think it's part of the system. I think that it's part of how we make sure that, as you say, Yerdin, that we have Simcha Yom Tov and that we have things functioning the way they we think they should function. And by virtue of having a legal system, it allows or it accommodates and kind of insists on having loopholes. That's right. All. So we're just beginning our discussion of Erev Tavshilin, but I think, yes, it's an, it's an Erev, and an Erev is by definition a loophole. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page, and until tomorrow, go and learn. 